So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Daniel Bruce Levin. He is the visionary author of The Mosaic, an inspiring call for connection and shared wisdom. As a former director of business development for Hay House Publishing, the publisher of books by Dr. Deepak Chopra, Dr. Wayne Dyer, and other thought leaders, Daniel took the company from $3 million in annual revenue to $100 million per year and helped the company achieve global recognition. Daniel is a connectivity expert and business leader. He works with governmental organizations, corporations, and businesses to improve how people treat themselves and each other with a message of unification. Daniel and I will be having a conversation about his life's journey and his highly acclaimed book, The Mosaic. Good morning, Danny. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Hey, Johnny, how are you? I want to meet that guy you just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> well, he you're right here. But <laughs> thank you so much for having me. What an honor and a treat. It's a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Mosaic is a page turner, I have to tell you that. Extremely insightful and a beautifully constructed book. Congratulations on its release. Thank you so, so very much. You know, when I wrote it, I wanted to make it something that even when people just held it in their hands without even having to read a word, they felt something in it. So the fact that you say that really touches me and and I feel thankful to you for saying it. Well, Thank you for putting it out there and sharing your thoughts in a very wonderful, inspiring way. So that's really fantastic. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And I have to remind you, we have the whole hour here. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to remind you to just feel free to interrupt me at any point in time, because that one question could take us 10 years, okay? I often wish that I had the life where, of some of my friends where they grew up and they moved four blocks away from where their family home was and they kept their mm-hmm. same friends and they, and they um, just maintained. They went into their father's businesses. They did what they did. But mine was not that life, Johnny. And um, mine was a life of incredible, incredible highs and tumultuous, tumultuous lows. And mm-hmm. what, I, what I realized in writing the book, The Mosaic, is that there were some events that happened in my life that really shaped the course of my life. And in looking at those events, it, it made everything else that I did, which seemed completely irrational and insane in that moment, mm-hmm. much more understandable. Very, so very interesting to get into it with you and, and, and to talk about it because um, yeah. 
mine was not a normal quote unquote life. And so it, it, it was, I had the opportunity mix and dine and be friends with some of the richest, most powerful people in the world. Mm-hmm. And I also had the beautiful grace to sit on street corners with the homeless and the poorest of the mm-hmm. poor. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I saw in, that, in, in, the, in the transpositioning of those two types of people is that we're all the same. Underneath our outer circumstances, underneath the, the color of our skin, underneath the border that we live behind, underneath the religion we practice or the language we speak or the sex that we are, we are brought up in mm-hmm. or that we have, we all want essentially the same thing. We want to be loved and accepted. We want to be listened to and acknowledged. And we want to be heard and understood. So true. And it doesn't so matter true. how much money we have in our pocket or where we, or where we park. And even with your beautiful introduction that you gave me, when I used to speak more, people would introduce me. And, and I said this to you when we were just chatting a moment before. Yeah. Johnny, it isn't in the history of what I've done that makes me a person of interest. The only thing that's interesting to me is if you and I together in this few minutes that we have talking can touch people and elevate people and inspire people and transform people to see they see might not be all that is and that they might now go forward from this conversation with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new, with a new paradigm in front of them that will allow them to experience life in a richer, fuller, more connected way. And if we can do that, it really doesn't matter where I've come from or what I've done, does it? Fantastic. And that if we sounds can't, terrific. Yeah. And, it, and if we can't, it, 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 does it matter that I've helped government organizations uh, connect better together? Does it mm-hmm. matter that I've worked in, in corporations to help them have a better flow? Does it matter that I helped bring Hay House from $3 million to $100 million? None of it matters. If we don't touch people right now, who cares? The past is the past. Right. All that's important right now is this moment. So true. You so true. Yes, definitely. I think we need to end the show now because we're on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to get better. Don't think it's better. Uh, I hope started. so. <laughs> 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 we have established a, a baseline right here, you know, that we got to work on. So, But really, I truly appreciate your candidness about that because I think in the end, I've always had this thing about I tell people, humbly speaking and respectfully to all my guests, that we are ordinary people that happen to have the opportunity to do extraordinary things to contribute to our global Beautiful. community. And Beautiful. In fact, mm-hmm. when I ask people in the work, the mosaic is a book that celebrates the ordinary. Yeah. And yeah. when I ask people on a scale of one to 10, with one being what they don't want to be and 10 being what they, what they would die yeah. to be, mm-hmm. where the word ordinary comes into place, most of the time people say a one or a two. Nobody really yeah. wants to be ordinary. When I ask them on that same scale where the word extraordinary comes in, they say a 10 or a 12 or a 100. Everyone wants to be extraordinary. And so I say maybe it's a play of the English language that allows us to do this. But Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one simple question. If ordinary is something that you don't want to be, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want? Mm -hmm. And and it stumbles people for a minute. And, And what the mosaic has taught me is extraordinary things happen when extraordinaries come together, we were never meant to do this life alone. We mm-hmm. were never meant to try and figure it out all on our own. 
We were mm-hmm. meant to come together because when we come together, there are questions that are asked that we would never even ask and solutions that we'll find that we could never even imagine possible because we just can't see it on our own. Mm-hmm. And so extraordinary mm-hmm. is not about becoming superheroes and superpowers and putting on your cape and flying through the air and saving the world. The world yeah. doesn't need to be saved. It just mm-hmm. needs to be loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. We just need to come mm-hmm. together with the simplest of minds and the greatest minds, the, the, like, the people that think like us and the people that don't think like us, and just sit together and allow ourselves the opportunity to commingle mm-hmm. ideas. And in that creates innovation happens and miracles are possible that we can't even imagine. So true. I believe in that. That's the extraordinary that comes in from the sense of when one plus one equals three. Three is the yes. extraordinary because of the collaboration, the co-creation yes. of ordinary people. Yes. yes, absolutely. I love that. So let's come back to when you were growing up. It's a fascinating thing because there is a point in time where we all go through this process of identifying ourselves and so forth. And I've chosen the particular age of 19. Can you tell us what was the most critical thing in your life at that age? Because that is the bridge between, I would say, a young adult or in a way, the high side of teen going into adulthood. Wow. So, again, remember, my life was not an ordinary life. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was an absolutely ordinary life, but it was extraordinary in its, in its, in its ordinariness, okay? Yeah. Um, my parents passed away two years apart, just like in the book. My dad died mm-hmm. when I was 13, and my mom died when I was 15. They passed away two years apart on the exact same day, July 4th. And I grew up all my life until about six months ago believing that the message that they gave me in their passing was to be independent. I mean, they died on July 4th, Independence Day. So I thought, what stronger Mm. message could they be giving me than just to learn how to stand alone, do your things on your own, be strong, walk through a world that, that may or may not help you, and just be strong in yourself. So at the time that I was 19 years old, 19 years old, I had already... Um, fin- I had already finished two years of college. I had already mm-hmm. taken all the courses I wanted to take in psychology because I was trying to understand why would my mom and dad pass away and why would something like this happen to, to just a kid? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I searched for that. And in psychology, I, I, is as beautiful as the process was, it wasn't the answers I was seeking and so I put my thumb out on the, on, and I started to hitchhike around the world. And I, looked, I tried to look for my answers in the simple, ordinary people of the world, just to be able to get away from all the intellectual, intellectualism of school, all the, all the uh, drive of America. And I just hitchhiked. And I thought, who will I meet on the road that, might be able to un- that, that I'll be able to understand? And a lot of the characters in the mosaic are people that I met on the road along the way. Fast forward to six months ago, what I realized is the lesson that my mom and dad were trying to teach me was not to be independent. They were trying to teach me, and it's so vividly clear now when I look at it from this perspective, that independence causes death. They died on Independence Day. They weren't born on Independence Day. Mm -hmm. They were trying to teach me even at the age of 13 and 15 through their death, both of them together. 
that independence will be my downfall. Working together with people will mm-hmm. be my revelation. So in, at Fantastic. 19, I entered, I entered an Orthodox rabbinical school and studied for the rabbinate because I found that psychology didn't have my answers, so I thought maybe religion would. Very, very interesting. Now, as you progress, obviously, as a young man, you were searching for answers, basically, and looking for purpose in life. So who were the people you admired most in your 20s, and how did they impact your life? So a uh, fabulous question. I grew up in the, in the 70s, okay, in the 60s and late mm-hmm. 60s and the 70s. And so the people that were changing my life were the people that looked at the world and said, and said very simply, we don't have to follow this model. Mm-hmm. This model is not working. We don't have to fight with each other. We were, America was caught in a war in that period of time, which whether you like, liked it or not, it seemed senseless. We were in Vietnam, and there was nothing to be gained from it. It was the first war America ever lost. So I was mm-hmm. looking at the people that were, that were courageous enough to stand up to a power much bigger than themselves and to say, we don't believe in the models that you are presenting. And those people still have changed my life. Those were Martin Luther Kings. Those were the, those were, uh, the Gandhis of the world. Mm-hmm. Those were the mm-hmm. people that were saying there's a different way. And, and what happened for me, and it's really interesting because your question really is bringing this out in me that I didn't realize before. The way that I've moved through the world since is a result of being influenced by those people who looked at the world that is. Mm-hmm. and saw something different and said it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And they allowed themselves the possibility to mix with other people that would allow new ideas to come forth and new, and new seeds to be planted of a world that they dreamed possible. And no matter how much people told them that world was impossible, they still believed it. And if you think about the people that, I, that inspired me, uh, mm-hmm. the end of their life is not pleasant. They were both gunned down, <laughs> right? But right. that doesn't right. matter. What matters isn't how we die. The matter is that what matters is how we live. And a friend of mine during those periods of time said to me, if you're not willing to die for something, what are you, what are you living for? It's amazing what you just said, especially at that age. What happens here is that we are influenced by our environment and as such that we're absorbing it, whether we like it or not, good or bad, we are there and we absorb it. But the fascinating thing about it is based on what you have done, you were on a purpose, on a mission, so to speak. So having said that, what is your view about curiosity? I think the world could use a lot more of it. When Gandhi was asked, what does he believe about Western civilization? He said, mm-hmm. I think it would be a great idea um, <laughs> for, <the> for Western <laughs> civilization. <laughs> um, but, but I think curiosity would be a great idea for people. I think what mm-hmm. happens is we get so caught up. It, this is my point of view. Every, people are free to agree with me or disagree with me. It's mm-hmm. only my point of view, okay? Mm-hmm. But what I see in the world, that when I look out in the world, is I see a, a horizon full of silos. Mm-hmm. I, see people, I see people living in protected environments. Right now, those environments are often used to be like it was the place that I used to love to go to. Oh, when, I was, when I was trying to find people who thought like me and believed like me and lived like me, 
I, I felt like a fish out of water because the world around me didn't experience what I was experiencing. And when I finally found people of like mind, I, I celebrated and I reveled and I thought how fabulous to find people of like mind and to join a like-minded community of people where we can actually experience, where people know what I feel and feel what I know. Mm-hmm. But everything mm-hmm. has its moment. As Ecclesiastics said, there's a time for every season under heaven, but there's a time for it to end also. And I believe that those like-minded communities now have, have been the seed of what is causing separation in our world. Because when I'm in a like-minded community and I'm with people who think like me, I am not with the people who don't think like me. And no matter how much I try to, to embrace people who don't think like me, I, I believe like the people that I believe like. And what I, if you look at our environment today, Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. like-minded communities siloing up, protecting themselves against other people of like mind and just fighting with each other. I mean, the politics in America is such a, an easy place to look, and it's not anybody's mm-hmm. fault. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter if you're pro-Trump or, or anti-Trump. What matters is you are, if you are in either one of those camps, you are on one side or another. And peace is not going to happen from the sides. It's mm-hmm. going to happen when people come together into the middle and they take time. Remember, all we want is to be heard and understood. We want to be loved mm-hmm. and accepted. And when we come to the middle, when we get out of those like-minded communities and we become curious about what other people think, what other people believe, where we don't, where we don't judge them what they say, where we don't speak with anger and listen with judgment, but we listen with an open heart and say, what is it, how is it that you see the same thing that I see, but you see it differently? Will you explain that to me? Will you share the way you see the world with me? Because I'm incredibly interested in knowing how you see the world. If we could be curious like that, most of the troubles we experience in our world today would vanish no holding there's just no firm there's no fertile soil for them to grow in but if we but if we continue to stay in our like-minded communities and are not curious and just think these people are the people i agree with and those people are the ones that i disagree with we'll never move forward it's time for a new a change the world that we're living in now is not a world no matter which side we're on that anyone that I've asked this question to says yes. Mm-hmm. And the simple question is, is the world we're living in right now a world that you would love to hand over to your children and your children's children? So Nobody true. said yes. The world we're living in is not one we're willing to hand over to our children. It's our obligation, no matter how strong the odds are against us, no matter mm-hmm. how much we think it can happen, to find a new way, to find a, a, to find a way to, to infuse this world with what it is we want to give to our children. Yes, it's true. Definitely. Very, very true. So your life, basically, when you look through the lens of curiosity, it truly contributed to your enlightenment. And you are a highly evolved human being. Let me answer this. Why was it essential for you to flavor the many lives in this lifetime? And I say that in terms of because I know in reading your bio, you have literally, we're not talking about just reading a book about something. You immerse yourself into that 
situation for at least a year or two to experience the whole full effect of it. It's like you have to marinate yourself into it to really understand and perhaps be understood at the same time. Johnny, you're, you're great at what you do. You have good questions you ask. You have good insights even in the questions that you ask. And if you think about it, so much of the world speaks a message that they don't walk. Mm-hmm. And speaking a message that we don't live but it is it, maybe it's inspirational, I guess. Some people will, some people maybe get get benefit from it. But I have been with people, and I have sat with people, and I have gotten to know people who their silence speaks louder than their words, mm-hmm. because who they are speaks so much louder than any words they say. And it's when you marinate. In these truths, when you marinate, when you live them, when you take the time to try and um, open yourself up, surrender, drop the walls of your silo, and allow the world to come into you and touch you and affect you and influence you. And yes, it will hurt you sometimes. And yes, it will love you others. But when we're open to the world around us, amazing things happen. And I think people can feel it. When someone like that walks into a room, the room changes. Most of us walk into a room and we're completely affected by the room that we're in. Mm-hmm. Those people walk into a room and completely affect the room. And so people that, that study communication tell us that only maybe 23%, 25%, whatever the number is, of our communication is in, is in the words that we say that people hear. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is in the way we hold ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, the nonverbal communication that happens in our body language, in the connection of our eyes, in the feeling of, the, in the, in the feeling of those words. Where the words come from? When a person speaks, where do their words come from? Do they speak from their throat and you can hear it, or do they speak from their heart and you can feel it? When you have that influence on people, Because you have taken the time to go into your pain, to go into your joy, to live it and experience it. Too many of us feel pain and want to escape it the minute it happens. But when you see that everything in the world has come for our benefit, pain is a beautiful gift that we're given to help us see something. And when we see what that pain is giving us, and believe me, I have a mirror in front of me right now. You can't see me, but I'm talking to myself now. <laughs> because when we, allow, when we allow the world to, inf- to, to touch us, we walk away changed. But so many of us remain protected in our silos. So many of us are scared to, be, to, be, to even let ourselves see ourselves. It's time for those silos to come down. And the only way that happens in my mind, I mean, there's probably millions of ways Mm. it happens, but the way it happens for me is when we allow, when we surrender rather than control. And we say to the world, what is it you're trying to show me now? So true. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Fascinating. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast 
are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Daniel Bruce Levin. He is the visionary author of The Mosaic, an inspiring call for connection and shared wisdom. Daniel is a connectivity expert and business leader. He works with governmental organizations, corporations, and businesses to improve how people treat themselves and each other with the message of unification. We're having a conversation about his life's journey and his highly acclaimed book, The Mosaic. Daniel, what was the pivotal experience that changes the entire trajectory of your life's adventure? I think we've been talking about it. I think the <laughs> death of my I, I, I think the death of my dad when I was thirteen mm-hmm. and the death of my mom when I was fifteen were mm-hmm. if I were to go back in time to one moment in time that changed everything, that moment in time changed everything because I was a happy go lucky kid just we grew up uh, in a um in a lower middle-class family where my dad died with a mountain of debt and one black suit, but with a heart full of love. And he gave to us everything that we, everything that he thought we wanted. Um, but what he gave to us really was this feeling that around him, everything would be, would be We were safe. And so we grew up in a, I, we grew up in a fabulous family. My mom was the type of mom that, um, would work part-time, but she was always home because she wanted to make sure we had milk and cookies when we came home from school. Um, and we did the dinner table was a time where we sat together and just laughed and just enjoyed each other and spent, and, and spent time together. And so when they, the way, the connection that I had to this world was, I felt was severed. Mm-hmm. And so all my, all my life, what I realized in writing this mosaic is my life has been filled with opportunities that are beyond anything that you could ever imagine. I had the opportunity to start pushing a broom and work my way to the top of of a billion dollar company, and that was told to me that that's what would that's what would happen if I if I were able if I followed through. Mm-hmm. And I walked away because it, what I realized is just like in the mosaic, when my parents passed away, I asked the people around me where they went and the people said they're in a place called heaven and all my life I've been searching for that place called heaven for that place where connection was real for that place where I remember my uh, I was brought up Jewish so I remember my bar mitzvah and there was a picture Mm -hmm. in my bar mitzvah album which I very rarely look at that was a long time ago 50 years ago Mm mm-hmm but I still remember that picture and I can still see it in my mind's eye of my mom and dad just holding me and hugging me from, from the back. And the look in their eyes was a look that, that said, we love you beyond who you are. We love you without condition. We love you completely and unconditionally. And when they left, it was that love that I was kept looking for. It was that love that I was searching for. It was their presence in my life that I miss. And so no matter how great the opportunities were on this earth, they weren't the heaven that I was looking for. 
and I went to psychology and I went to religion and I went to the, to the, to the experiences of the world around me and I went into business and I went into big business and I went into small business and I went into coaching and I went into government organizations to help, but none of it had what I was looking for. And it was only in writing the mosaic when I, that I realized as I was sitting to write it, write it, that I was looking all along for that place called heaven, that place where I felt completely loved and accepted, that place where I was, where I had a real connection with some, with somebody, and that loss of connection with my mom and dad had put silos around me that that made it harder for me to connect to the world around me and the people in my life. Mm-hmm. And they brought and they brought new incidences. My my, I, I got married and we had a child and our, my child was developmentally delayed. She came, she was born with silos around her to protect her because she was so sensitive. She could hear and feel everything around her. So she naturally put up silos around her to protect herself because it was too painful for her to see and feel the people around her. My wife passed away of the most uh, pain, the, the most uh terrible death you can imagine, two and a half years of blood-curdling, screaming pain, every 45 minutes for 45 minutes with a 45-minute break in between, all day, all night. And I realized all those pains created in me a silo that I'm still trying to get down. I've remarried to a woman who is absolutely the most wonderful thing that could ever come. But between me and her, that my silo still exists. I can't let her in because I believe somehow <laughs> in my mind that people around me, bad things happen to people that I love. And why would I love, why would I let her in and have something bad happen to her? And so it's in that place of the pivotal experience for me in my life is seeing the silos that I've built around myself from the pains that I've had. And now trying to allow those silos to melt in the love of my heart, knowing that no matter how much pain I, I, I am given, the love that I feel for the world can melt that pain. Oh, I understand that, completely understand that. The beauty of it, though, Danny, is that, interestingly enough, having that silo around you is almost like fear. Fear can be good, yes. fear can be bad. It's a matter of are you swinging too far to the right or too far to the left. And silos are good, but the idea is that in the end, it's like living in a house. You've got to open that front door once in a while and get out and smell fresh air. Yeah, if you, you've read my book, so you, you'll be familiar with the, one of the characters. But uh, along the way, Mo wants to understand why people – protect themselves so much right and he's standing right. he's standing in a in a in a country square and he sees this man walking into the square with incredible power and he notices him and he notices the man notices him and he starts to get scared when he starts to walk towards him because he wonders what's this what's this powerful man sort of walking towards him one one from him and he stops right in front of Mo, and he says, and, he's, and Mo says to him, are you coming to talk to me? And he said, yes, you're exactly who I was looking for. And Mo's scared. He says, what is it you want? And he said, Mo, I'm a bodyguard, and my job is to protect people. So I see that you are standing here completely protected. And I want you to know now that you can take down those walls 
because I will, I will watch over you. You don't need to protect yourself anymore. I will watch mm-hmm. over you. And, and he tells Mo a story. And can I share that story with you? Oh, yes, you're, yes, you're right definitely. Mm-hmm. So he tells Mo a story about a man who lived in the city, and he looked out of his windows, and he, he lived in a high-rise, and all around him, all he saw from his windows were other high-rises. So he looked from building to building to building to building, and all he saw was buildings, but he didn't see any of the land around him. And he dreamed of one day being able to go to this place where he could be on a mountaintop where he would look and see the ocean and, and the forest and the mountains and the desert. And one day along his travels, he saw that place. And it was, it was a barren hill and he looked around him and he had a 360 degree view of the world around him. And he saw the ocean and he saw the mountains and he saw the forest. And he decided then and there he was going to build, he was not going to leave that place. He was going to build his home there. And he built a home with floor to ceiling windows so that no matter whether he was inside or outside, he could enjoy the views, the panoramic views of what this mountain gave to him. And he lived there with such joy and such, and he couldn't believe his good fortune that he could experience the world in such a friendly, good way. And then he heard word that the monsoons were coming, and the people in around the villages around uh, in the village around them said, "You have to you have to protect yourself. Your house is high on a hill, and it'll be taken." So he took he found wood wood panels, and he and he blocked off all his windows so they wouldn't break, and he blocked and he bolted down the doors, and he and the monsoon came, and it 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 it, it threatened his home, but his home stood. And then when the monsoon ended, he thought, well, maybe I should take the walls down now. And then he thought, but what if another monsoon comes? Let me leave them up for a little while. Them up for a very long time. And suddenly the house that he was living in now started to suffocate him. And he didn't go outside and he no longer saw those views. All he saw was closed off walls around them of, of the, the covered his windows, windows that were blocked and doors that were locked. And one day he ran out of food and he thought, I have to go out and I have to see, I have to go to the store and I have to hope that the monsoons won't come so I can go to the store and get more food. And he unlocked the door and he opened it up and he thought, oh my God, what happened to me? Look at what's all around me. I remember now why I came here. I see, I, I see the ocean and I see the mountains. I see the forests. I see the, I see the trees. I see the fields and the valleys and the desert. How beautiful. What have I done? I've blocked us all up. And as the bodyguard was telling that story to Mo, Mo said, who would ever do that? And the bodyguard looked at Mo and he said, Mo, that's you. You were the one that did that. You've siloed yourself in, in a world where you can't see the world and the beauty of it. All you see is the fear that you have around you. It's time now to let those walls come down. It's time now Beautiful. for all of us to drop those it's, walls it's, and let the world back into ourselves. Beautiful. By the way, how did you come up with the various characters? Um, some of them I had the good fortune to meet along my journey of life. Mm-hmm. And some of them um, I only met for the first time as I was writing them, just like you, the reader, would read them and meet them for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. But it isn't, for me, for me, it isn't these characters that's yeah. important. What I want to try and say through the story of the mosaic is everybody has these characters in their life. They're, they, they are wearing different uniforms. 
It might That's be right. in the bank teller, or it might be in the in the janitor, or it might be in the old woman you pass on the street, or the young, or the or the man that's crazy screaming on the street corner. All of the everybody that we meet, everybody that we come in contact with, has the ability and the power to influence us if we let them in. And when we open our heart to them, the stories that they will tell us, when we take time to just listen, the stories that what they tell us will guarantee, guaranteed, will be amazing stories. I remember going to New York when I was with Hay House to sign an author. And I was going to meet the author at the, at, in this uh, high-rise, in this big agency, talent mm-hmm. agency in New York. And I was driving from my hotel to the, to in, a, in a cab from my hotel to the meeting. And the cab was stopped at a corner, and there were red lights all around. And it was right before the green light happened and everybody could cross the street. And I looked out on the street corners. There were thousands of people on every corner. And I had this thought for a minute that if I were to get out of the car in that moment and not go to the meeting that I was going to, but stop any individual on any corner and just ask them to tell me their story, that it could be a New York Times bestselling story because everybody's, everybody's life is a story everybody else needs to hear. Right. I agree with and that. And so if we would live life with the thought that the people around us are not just uh, things that we have to get through, but each one of them, if we would listen and care enough about them to let them tell us their story, it'll change our life. I completely agree with that. And that's the fascinating thing about it. Danny, is that the silo that we actually build around ourselves is the nature of our very being. We come predisposed of things. The interesting part about it, the very first door that I look at in terms of opening or rather creating is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that will lead you to experience the world as is, and it brings the world to you as is. And now you are part of the play rather than being the audience. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent. And so for you, it's curiosity. And I agree with you. Curiosity plays a huge part in everything. Yeah. But the, the reframe that I would want to say is for, for everybody in individually, Mm -hmm. for them to ask themselves, what is it that would allow me Is it curiosity? Is it surrender? Is it giving up control? Is it, is it um, understanding? Is it just a simple practice of listening? What Mm -hmm. is it that would allow me to let the world into myself so that I could see what I no longer see? In my book, The Mosaic, one of the things that happens is every character that Mo meets, they're not the classic archetypes that you would imagine. They aren't right. the people that you would, you would assume would be able to show them where heaven is. They're a street worker and an, art, and an artist and a, and a juice maker and a trash man and a gardener and a waitress and a blind woman and a homeless guy. But when Mo takes the time to sit with them and listen to them tell their story, what he sees it's something that he never saw before. He doesn't see the first image of what he saw. He sees something entirely different. And when that happens to him enough times, he meets the monk 
who watches him and sees that he's ready and unzips the sky mm-hmm. and walks him through into a parallel reality. And that unzip the sky moment I talk about in the work that I do with people, that unzip the sky moment is that moment where we see what we've always looked at, but now we see it differently. That's the thing that we have to find. If that's curiosity that gets us there, great. If it's, uh, if it's listening that gets us there, great. If it's love that gets us there out of, over fear, great. If it's our, whatever that is, for people to find it, it might be curiosity. And if it's that, go for it. Just start to ask questions. Because until we see what we don't see, we'll only continue to see what we do see. And Mm -hmm. what we do see has led us to where we are. Mm -hmm. And if we're happy where we are, stay there. I I salute those people. (laughs) So true. But if there are things in our life that that we're, that we would love to see differently. We'll never see them differently by seeing things the same. So true. So true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Daniel Bruce Levin. He is the visionary author of The Mosaic, an inspiring call for connection and shared wisdom. Daniel is a connectivity expert and business leader. He works with governmental organizations, corporations, and businesses to improve how people treat themselves and each other with a message of unification. We're having a conversation about his life's journey and his highly acclaimed book, The Mosaic. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Daniel, how should we listen to and observe life? Um, I think for everyone, what what a beautiful, what a beautiful inquiry. And I don't think that it's my place to answer that for anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that question, if people would simply ask that question that you just asked, how would we listen to life, and how would we see life? How could we see? How could we hear something different than we hear? How could we observe in life something we haven't seen? And just allow ourselves the space to receive answers. I believe the model of the world where people tell us how to do things Mm -hmm. is passing. I don't believe it's my place anymore. What I believe is that it's the place of each one of us. When our inquiry becomes not a should, but a must, as Tony Robbins says, when our inquiry becomes a must, where we start to say, How would I, what would I see if I could see what I don't see? How exciting would that be? I'm sure you've seen that photograph where one way, it's a drawing, it's not a photograph. It's mm-hmm. a black and white drawing of one way you look at it and it's an old hag, and the other <laughs> way you look at it and it's a young socialite. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and we've seen that one so many times that most of us can go back and forth and see the two things. But I wonder if you remember the first time you ever saw it. But the first time I ever I saw it, I could only see the old hag. And when someone said to me, do you see the young socialite? I said, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? That's an old hag. Can't you see it? And they said, well, no, the chin is not the chin. And, this is the, and, the, and the, you know, that's not her hair. Mm-hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? 
And then there was that unzip the sky moment where suddenly yeah. my perception changed. And then mm-hmm. I saw the socialite. And believe it or not, when I saw the socialite, I could not see what I had seen before, which was the old hag. Mm-hmm. What that story tells me is something intriguing. First of all, it tells me that there are things in this world that are right before my eyes that I just don't see. What it also tells me is that what, I'm, what I do see actually blocks me from seeing what else is there. It actually prevents me because my perceptions are so strong. So how do we observe the world that we live in and listen to it? By letting go of our, of our, of our firmness of belief that the way we see the world is the only way to see the world. What if the way we see the world is just that? It's just the way we see the world. It isn't the way the world is. It's only the way we see. And the world we see is only a small, very, very, very small, infinitely small percentage of the possibilities of the world that exists. When we see what we don't see, then wonder happens, then we open up, then innovation happens, then the impossible suddenly becomes possible. So I guess the answer that I would give is when people inquire, is the world that I see real or just what I see? It's a scary question. Mm-hmm. But when they allow themselves to do that inquiry, <laughs> they're, already, they're already moving past their fear. What would I see if I could see what I don't see? That's the real message of the mosaic. And interestingly enough, whose message is, what would I see if I could see what I don't see? Mm-hmm. It only makes sense that it would only hint at those messages. That's not what the story talks about. But in the spaces between the words, that's what the story talks, tells you. And so when we read it, do we only read the words and hear the charming story? And if you do, the charming story will touch your heart and it will soothe your soul. <laughs> but if you hear the space between the words, it will allow you to see another reality. And who knows, you might have an unzip the sky moment where suddenly you perceive the reality that you've always looked at completely differently. And it's so much more beautiful, so much more real, so much more alive, so much more powerful, so much more enriching. I invite everybody to allow yourself the opportunity to put your beliefs to the side for one moment. And whether it's in conversation or in listening to another person or in the beautiful moment of suddenly having a change of perception, allow yourself to see what you've never seen before. It's all inspiring. Fascinating, fascinating. One of the things that I find the book to be very good at, it sort of connects with you at a different level in terms of it provokes you to really think about what is coming up next and why certain things happen. I want you to address a couple of chapters, so to speak. Why are sure. the teeth and the lover characters relevant in most journey. Wow. So, um, as I as I mentioned, all of the characters are pretty ordinary people, mm-hmm. and in the story, Mo, um, what a perfect time to ask the question, because what have we been just talking about? We've been talking about 
the fact that the way I see the world mm-hmm. actually is preventing me from seeing something else. Right. So the character of the thief comes in a moment where Mo is unable to see. He, he walks into the town square and he looks, in, he looks at, he, he's amazed because he's watching, this, he's watching this man literally stealing the wallets out of people's pockets. And two seconds later, not even two seconds later, within the same second, putting them back in. And he's, and he, he, he's about to call the attention. He's saying, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And at that moment, he feels the thief come into his back pocket and steal his wallet. And the thief runs before he can say anything. And Mo runs after him. And they run into a secluded field where Mo can't ruin the experience that the thief was trying to create for the people he was working with. And he says, here, Mo, here's your wallet. And he says, I have a question for you. And Mo says, no, no, what are you, crazy? I have a question for you. What are you doing stealing people's things and just taking things from them? How could you possibly do that? And the thief looks at Mo and says, Mo, take a look in your wallet. And when Mo opens up his wallet, it has a a thousand times the amount of money that he had in it before. And he realizes the thief didn't only steal from him, didn't steal anything from him. He gave him far more than he'd ever had. But the thief leaves him with the thought of, Mo, there's something that I've taken that you can't see. When you find that, you'll be complete. And Mo's trouble, and then he just tears off and leaves. And Mo's left on, left on his own. And as he's walking, he realizes that there's something it's been taken from him and he doesn't like that. He doesn't like losing control. He doesn't like not knowing what's been taken. And so he looks through everything he has. He goes through his thoughts. He, he's not carrying much on his person. So he, he, he easily does an assessment of an inventory of what he's carrying. And he realizes he hasn't lost anything. But he looks at his thoughts and he says, no, I'm thinking the same things. I have, I have these things. Until he says, I'm going to look in my wallet one more time. And he looks in his wallet and he, un- and he sees in his wallet buried in a, in a, between his dollars is a card. And the card is the card of the lover. And the lover comes to speak to him of that the only thing valuable in the world, the only important thing is that you fall in love with the world. You find, your, you find that, part, that part of you that is love in the world that exists. And Mo realizes when he sees the card of the lover that he, he, his lover has left him. He fell in love with this woman, a flower girl, a simple woman who had left him. And he, and he wonders, how do I get to the dimension where she would be? Because I already know that there's another dimension to life that exists. And he meets the gardener, and the, and the next character he meets is the gardener. And the gardener that his garden is beautiful, not because of what Mo sees, but because of what he doesn't see. He doesn't see all the weeds. And Mo says to him, there's a weed in me that I would love for you to pull. It's the weed of fear that's keeping me from going to find the woman that, I, that I'm in love with and giving my love to her and crossing into that other dimension to find it. And the gardener says, sure, I'd be happy to take that weed from you if I could. And he goes to look in Mo's garden for that weed and he realizes it's not there. And he thinks, This is the most interesting thing I ever saw, that he thinks there's a weed in his garden that is no longer there. How is that possible? And he asks Mo, how is it possible that that weed that you think is there isn't there? I've I've looked through your whole garden. 
I no longer see it. And Mo closes his eyes to think, how could I have lost that weed when I think, when I live by it, where it sits in me and it keeps me from doing the things that I have. And it's been the reason why I haven't done what I've done. And the gardener's telling me it's not there. And he closes his eyes. And the minute he closes his eyes, he sees the thief in his mind's eye, holding his hand, in his hand the weed that he had just taken, that he had taken from him, that weed that he had stolen. He said, remember, Mo, I told you, a good thief never lets, its person, never lets the person know it's taken anything. But eventually, what he's taken is so influential that it changes the life of, another, of, of, a, of a person. So the thief not only steals from you, but gives you something much more. And in this case, he took away Mo's fear of finding the woman that he dreamt of and the woman that he, he had met and wanted more than anything in the world. And he was able then in the following character to meet the monk who unzipped the sky and walked him into that parallel reality because he was no longer afraid to cross the spans of time and space, to cross past, present, and future, because in, in the world of the mosaic, we are all connected. Everything is connected, past and future and present. One world, one, one galaxy and another galaxy. When there's one, there is nothing separate. And in that moment of crossing into the parallel reality, everything changes. And I... I'm going to stay there so that people have, <laughs> I don't ruin this story, right? <laughs> but, but, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Get, I want people to get the book and read it because in the world that we don't see, it makes the world that we do see so much richer. It's Apart. so true. Fantastic. Where can someone go to get more information about you, your book, workshops, courses, and keep up with your latest happenings. Um, I, my website is a great place. It's the mosaiconline.com. And there's some beautiful things there. You can meet some of the characters just by going there. There's something called card reading. If you click on card reading, it allows you to meet some of the characters through asking a question. And it will allow you to choose three cards from the deck of, of the Mosaic card deck, which is only available free on my website. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to do it. So when you have a question or you want a different perspective, go there. And you can go there as often as you choose. And just allow these characters to bring a different perspective to you. Um, you t the only thing you have to do to, to access it is give your email address. But if you, if you don't want, I, I send out a weekly newsletter. That's the only thing that you'll get as a result of it. But if you don't want that, just unsubscribe. I'm not, it, this isn't about trying to get you to do something. You get, give, it's trying to get something from you. It's about giving you the chance to find new perspectives, to allow the people of the ordinary to influence your life. So that when you meet people in your day-to-day -day practice, whether it's the person you're standing to next to on the subway, whether it's the poor man sitting on the corner, whether it's the, the, the man or woman that serves you in the restaurant your food, whether it's the person in the elevator that you're going up to work to with, whether it's the person you pass and talk to while you're walking your dog, every one of them, if you would sit and, list, and invite them to share this, a story with you, would give your life a fullness and a richness that you can never imagine.
And so the goal of the mosaic is, is really just that, to share perspectives, to listen to each other. And the characters here are unassuming and beautiful. And if they can help to jumpstart it for you, please go to the mosaiconline.com and do it. There are other things on the site that I would love you to take advantage of too. You can get the book there or you can get it at, at Amazon. But it isn't about getting something or giving something. It's about asking yourself, what would it take for me to be able to see what I don't see? How connected am I to myself, to my source, to my purpose, and to each other, and to the other people in my life? And if you find that you want more connection, reach out to me. We'll help each other just by sitting with each other, by making a connection to one we connect to all. That's the goal of the mosaic. Fantastic. As we close the show, since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Be kind to yourself. Everything in the world changes when we're kind to ourselves. Those silos that we spoke about, the first, the first silo that has to come down is not a silo that protects us from the world outside of us, but we're so hard on ourselves. We hit ourselves so much. We put our, ourselves down so much. We, we talk badly about ourselves so much that the constant abuse that we have on ourselves, the constant 24-7 possibility that we might hit ourselves forces us to put a wall around us to protect ourselves from ourselves. When we're kind to ourselves, we can allow that wall to drop and experience the world around us. And that one moment, that unzip the sky moment of what happens when we allow kindness to run our lives for ourselves, we start to see the kindness will dissolve the walls between us and other people as well. So practice kindness. Start on yourself. Fantastic. Danny, thank you for the good recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, March 5th. My guest will be Scott Stevens. He is a noted journalist on alcoholism, the founding influencer of the world's largest medical portal, healthtap.com, and an award-winning author of three books. Scott and I will be having a conversation about his life's journey and his latest book, which was released on August 23rd at the International Conference of Addiction Therapy and Clinical Report in Paris, France, titled, Look What Dragged the Cat In, The Rise of an Opioid Crisis in America. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Danny, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. You are great at what you do, and it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. I hope this is the beginning, not the end of our conversations together. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. So 
ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.